0: life touches us in every area of our living, sooner or later in some ways, it's going to bring us to our knees. And It doesn't take very long for someone who's on top to realize that that's not a permanent position. And I also believe that children have a way God has created children <clears throat> to keep us all humble. And a little girl, she asked her dad one day where he lived at when he was little, and he told her he lived in Chicago, She then asked him, was that in the Old Testament or the New Testament? And even church has a humbling way of of experience. And I read recently about a a statement that Mark Buchanan, he wrote that, uh, he said, I assume you're like me. I get itchy skin and scratchy throat after an hour or so of church. I get distracted. I get cranky when it goes too long. My feet ache, my backside numbs. My eyes glaze over, my mind fogs, my belly growls, and I find myself fighting back yawns, and then not fighting them back at all. And I'm the pastor. <coughs> There's no story about H.A. Ironsdale, who was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. <coughs> and he felt that he was not humble, as he ought to be. So he asked an elder friend what he could do about it. And his friend replied, What you need to do is make a sandwich board with a plan of salvation and scripture on it. And wear it and walk through the business area of all Chicago (coughs) and downtown Chicago for a whole day. So Ironsdale did as his friend, he took his friend's advice. And upon completion of the humiliating experience, he returned to his house. And as he took off the sandwich board, he caught himself thinking, there's not another person in Chicago that would be willing to do a thing that I just did. And you can see he missed the whole lesson. Because in putting away the sandwich board, he got proud all over again. so life teaches you humility if you're a willing student and it will teach you anyway but it can beat you up if you don't cooperate and that's what psalm is going to teach us here in chapter 8 he's going to remind us of all things that make us humble and he's going to teach us all these things that that we deserve about life that they're okay the first thing he's going to teach us is humility is knowing what you don't know look down at verse 1 if you will who is like a wise man, and who knows interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. You know, over and over again in the, in the Bible, we are warned against being wise in our own eyes. And when this warning is heeded, the result is a happy, humble Christian. <clears throat> well, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he's a happy, humble Christian, but listen to what Solomon says here: a man who depends on God's wisdom, that that man has a shining face, and, it, and his conscience is changed by the wisdom God has given him. And he knows what he what he knows what he doesn't know, but he also knows whom he does know, and he's not worried about the things that he can't comprehend because. He has acquired the wisdom of God, and the wisdom has taken the sternness out of his conscience and has given him a shining and a happy face. And he is humbled by his own inability to piece life together. But his stern face has changed, and now he has a shining conscience because he knows God, and he has discovered God's wisdom for his life. So the first step toward true knowledge is revelation or ignorance without it. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians... (coughs) And uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, he says that, and if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. You know, the Bible teaches us that while it is important to to inquire knowledge, it's a never-ending pursuit. I love gadgets, especially ones that I use for hunting and fishing. And I get them from time to time from people because they know I like to use them but it's almost like a curse when they give them to me because I can't figure out how to make them work most of the time. And I could read the owner's manual, but now the manual comes in four different languages, and it might as well all be in different languages because I can't read none of them. And what's really frustrating is that, that Brantley knows more about them than I do. And he knows how all things work, and he tells me where to plug the cords in because he's grown up in that. And, but what do you think that the kids that we're raising are going to have to deal with the change of knowledge every single year, the rest of their life, at an accelerated pace? You know, change happens now a lot quicker than it did, you know, when we were coming up. And the fact of the matter is that, that wise is the man who knows what he doesn't know, and humility is coming to grips with, with the fact that, that what we know is such a small part of the total knowledge available to mankind. And that if anyone thinks they're educated, that makes them candidate for pride. They need to go back and, and look back at the statistics I just shared. And Solomon tells us that, that when we have true wisdom, that that wisdom comes from God and God alone. We don't have a stern, a stern worried face about what we don't know. We have a shiny face because we know God. Number two, <clears throat> humility is living with what you don't like. And all of us get caught in a universe that is controlled by others than ourselves. And every single day we have to get up the realization that today we're going to have to do some stuff that we probably don't want to do. Live in a way that we probably don't want to live and experience some things that we'd rather not experience. And Solomon uses this illustration in verses 2 through 7. You would look down there with me. It says, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hastily to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because every matter (coughs) there is a time and a judgment, though the measure of a man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen, so so who can tell him when it will occur? Now, that's a long, wordy paragraph, but let me wrap it up in just a few words. Nothing can be more humbling than to be in a a situation that you feel you have no control over. And Solomon here, he uses this illustration of a king in power, and as a citizen under his power, you, you really don't want to obey his authority. But listen to Solomon's word. Keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God, not because you like the king. In other words, even if you don't understand what in the world a king is doing, and you sure don't agree with it, humble yourself before his authority for the sake of your allegiance to Almighty God. This reminds us of of what Paul wrote to the Romans in in chapter 13. Romans 13, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that (coughs) exist are appointed by God. So therefore whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God and, <clears throat> and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, of course, God, now, of course, Paul and Solomon are not telling us that we should do things that violate God's standard. And the book of, of Acts actually teaches us it's better to obey God than to obey man. But if authority, if that's only if the authority puts us in opposition to God's direct will, we should disobey authorities and obey God. But most of our problems are not like that. Most of our problems come from, we think the speed limit should be faster than what it is. And, and living what you don't like, anybody else has to deal with that. I mean, there's a hundred laws I'd like to change, but we just deal with it. And every day you get up and you go out in this world and, and you don't have control of what's going on, there's a whole bunch of that stuff you have to deal with and you don't like it and you have to live with it. And you know what happens when you do that? It humbles you and it humbles me. It teaches you humility. It causes you to realize that, you know, we're really not in control. That you're not even sure what the questions are, let alone what the answers are. And you recognize your dependence on Almighty God. Humility is knowing what you don't know and living with what you don't like. But number three, humility is also accepting what you can't change. You know, it's frustrating to get in a situation where you have... You've got control, and all of a sudden, you don't have that control anymore. And so much of life, as we understand and learn about it, as we experience it, it's uncontrollable. We just think we have a handle of it, and then all of a sudden, things turn and go south. And notice that Solomon gives us an illustration of, of that in the next verses. Look at verse uh, verse 8. He says, No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power over the day of death. There is no release from that war and the wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. So Solomon says there's something about life and you can't have any control over it. And you know what that is? That's death. You don't know when it's going to come and what the circumstance will be. There are certain things that will have no control and death is certainly one of those things. There's an old legend that I read that It's about a merchant that went to Baghdad one day (coughs) who sent his servant to the market. Before very long, the servant came back, and he was white, and he was trembling with great agitation. And he said to his master, Down at the marketplace today, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. And when I turned around, I saw it was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. I will ride to Samaria, and there I will, <clears throat> I will hide from death, and will not find me. And the merchant lent him his horse, and the servant galloped away with haste. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace, and he saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to her, and he asked her, he said, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture toward him? That was not a threatening gesture, death said. It was only a stare of surprise, for I was surprised and astonished to see him at the marketplace. For I have a appointment with him tonight in Samaria. You cannot program the end of your life. You do not run from death. It is out of our control. And then he gives us another illustration of verse 9. Not only does, <clears throat> not only does death illustrate this, but so does distress. Verse 9 tells us: All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There's a time in which a man rules over another to his own hurt. So don't be surprised when when you're mistreated by those that are in authority over you, whether that be a boss or whoever. Don't be surprised when you're hurt by someone that you've trusted. And according to Solomon, that's life, and that's just the way it is. Life is filled with distress, and the wise man who understands it, and, and the wise man accepts that, And we need to learn how to change what we can change, live with that which we have no power. Change the things that you can change, but ask yourself, when you think about all the things that distress you, how many of these things do I actually have control over? Which of these things can I change? If you can change them, work at changing them, but if you can't, just accept it and don't let it ruin your life. (laughs) Because that's what happens to so many people. There are just some things that we cannot change. Number three, deception. Look down at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried who, <clears throat> who had come and gone from the place of the holiness. They were forgotten in the city where they had so done. So this is also vanity. Warren <coughs> me. Had a comment in his in his book on Ecclesiastes, and it says in verse ten that Solomon reports on a funeral that he had attended. Nasis was a wise man who had frequented the temple, the place of the holy, and had received much praise from people, but he had not lived a godly life. Yet he was given a magnificent funeral and an elegant eulogy, while the truly godly people of the city they were ignored and they were forgotten. I remember a story about two brothers that were uh, they're wealthy, and one of them died. And the brother who, st- who still lived wanted the pastor to say something nice about his brother, and he said, "I'll give your building program one hundred thousand dollars if you tell my, <clears throat> tell the people that my, at my brother's funeral that he was a saint." So the pastor took the hundred thousand dollars and he gave it to the church treasurer, and they deposited it in church account. They came for the brother's funeral, and the living brother sat in the front row, and he waited to the pastor. He his brother. And as the pastor got up there, he was talking about the man who died. And he said, the man whose remains were in this coffin was a crook. He was an evil man. He stole from people. He did so much that he didn't get caught for. He was a wicked, evil man. But next to his brother, he was a saint. But is it, you know, really ain't that how it is? And Solomon says, sometimes you just see stuff going on, you can't control it, and you just have to accept it. Don't get bent out of shape about it. You can't do anything about it. You know, that's just how life is. Sometimes it's very deceptive in the way it plays out. And then he adds one more thing, and that's defiance. And that's another thing you can't control. Look at 11 through 14, if you will. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men... Is fully set in them that do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days prolong, yet I surely know that it will be well with those that fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will it prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So Solomon says, Sometimes when we look out at life, we see people that just shake their fist in the face of God. And he's saying... I live like this, they say I live like this all my life, nothing has happened to me yet, and nothing's going to happen to me. I'm the captain of my life, and we see that often, we see that wicked people towards God, it looks like they're actually getting away with it, because the Bible says, verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And, you know, really, we're foolish to think that God confides to our own clock. And he works on a different timetable and he hasn't paid all of his debts yet. And one of these days, there will be a day of reckoning. So don't be fooled by the, the apparent success of, of wicked men. We have learned from this past Scripture that, that, that humility is knowing what you don't know, living what you don't like, and accepting what you can't change. Number four, humility is enjoying <clears throat> what you can't explain. Look at verse 15, if you would. So I commend enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all his days, and <clears throat> all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. And if you've been following along, this is the fourth time that Solomon says this, and this is one of the biggest surprises I've found in studying this book is how much Solomon says, enjoy life. If y'all write down one thing tonight in your notes, that's what I want you to write down. Is, you know, enjoy life. But Jason, you're talking about death, distress, defiance. Now you're telling us enjoy life. You know, really, that's the whole deal. Solomon said, you can't change any of that. It ain't going to happen, so don't get caught up in pursuing all these unanswered issues. Just accept the fact that some of these are just the way life is and enjoy the life that Almighty God has given you and has given me. He's given us so much good between the time that we were born and the time that we die. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we get so energized on these issues that we can't get our arms around that we don't enjoy life that God has given us. And God tells us to enjoy life and delight in our own labor. So that means, you know, if you have money and you're a good steward, enjoy what you have left. It is it's not a eat, drink, and be merry like the world, but this is a positive faith outlook of the children of God who understand that life is a special gift from the Almighty, and He gives us richly all things for us to enjoy. So as believers, we don't sit around and mope over things that we can't explain. We rejoice in what we have from a gracious and a loving God. Don't sit around and mope. Get out enjoy life. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Number five, humility is discovering what you can't discover. But you know that there's some things that that we'll never find out. Look at verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, even though no one (coughs) sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out. the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Why is there so much in this world that we can't discover? We're turning over knowledge every year, yet the Bible says there's so much that we'll never know. We keep trying, and some of the things that we thought we would never discover, we're discovering... But there will always be so much that we can't discover. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote this in his famous Pensée. Listen carefully to what he says. If there were no obscurity in God, man would not feel his own corruption. If there were no light, man would not hope for a cure. Thus it is not only right but useful for us. God should only be partly concealed and partly revealed. Since it is equally dangerous for a man to know God without knowing his own wretchedness, as it is to know his own wretchedness without knowing God. You say, boy, that's heavy. Let me say this again. If there were no obscurity, man would not feel his own corruption. If we could understand all about God, we wouldn't see how sinful we really are. If there were no light, man could not hope for a cure So it's only right and useful that God should be partly concealed and partly revealed since it's equally as dangerous for man to know God without knowing his own wretchedness. As it is for him to know his own wretchedness without knowing God. Pascal has told us that God just didn't accidentally forget to tell us something. God has concealed things from us. He knows the secrets. We can be discoverers, but we'll never make the ultimate discovery. Because God is undiscoverable, in his ultimate nature, he is infinite, and we're finite, and that's why we bow, and that's why we worship him. So we're at 530 now, let's, uh, let's come back at 535, and we'll pick up at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter, 10, or chapter 9, I'm sorry.
1: Wheel of his coffin car in a hot pink suit with $500 bills stuffed between his left thumb and his forefinger. When one of his gangland friends walked by the car made into a casket, he reportedly said, Man, that's living. (laughs) Flannery O'Connor wrote a short story with the title, You Can't Be Any Poorer Than Dead. And I imagine at some level even the Stokes family realized that as they lowered the well-appointed coffin into the ground, dressed it up as you want, You can't change the reality of it. It's what it is. Woody Allen once was reported to have said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) John Betjeman, the late poet laureate of England, wrote these words in his poem, Graveyards. He said, oh, why do people waste their breath inventing dainty names for death? And we do that, don't we? Now, this is not the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes that the aged Solomon has mentioned this subject. In fact, you'll find it many times in the book. Remember, Solomon's writing this book as an old man. He's lived his life, he's looking back over his life, and he's reminding us of the dangers of living your life without God because there was a section in Solomon's life when he departed from his relationship with God and he lived life under the sun as if there were no God. We've learned in this book that when you do that, you end up with nothing but despair and a sense of meaninglessness, emptiness, grasping for the wind, vanity of vanities, no profit under the sun. But Solomon also says it's possible, even when you know God and when you're walking with God, if you're not careful, to miss the meaning that life has for those who are God followers. And in this passage of Scripture, he's going to talk very honestly about the subject nobody talks about one of the things I know for sure this subject is appropriate for everybody in this room (laughs) the statistics on death are 100 percent did you know that (laughs) so everyone's a candidate some of you who are sitting over here you young people you say man don't tell me about that that's not even in my thinking well when we're finished you'll understand how understanding that brings meaning to your life here and now let's dive into this text and see what it says the certainty of death in chapter nine verses one through ten and underneath that the reality of it all verses one and two for i considered all this in my heart so that i could declare it all and the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of god people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them all things come alike to all One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner, he who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. Solomon has spent many hours searching out the meaning of life, and now he's going to take some moments and search out the meaning of death. And his first observation is that death is the great leveler. It matters not our station in life. We will all die someday unless the Lord returns. What is it that 1 Corinthians 15 26 says? The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now, there's an old Italian proverb that goes like this When the chess game is over, the pawns, the rooks, the kings, the queens all go back into the same box. While well, there are many differences between the righteous and the wicked, Solomon points out that they share one thing in common. And that one thing in common that they all share is they all die (laughs) in his eloquent statement about death solomon is not saying that living a good and godly life does not matter he is saying that one day we will all die and that is certain and whether we're good or bad whether we sacrifice or don't sacrifice whether we live godly or ungodly the one thing we all share in common is that we exit this life in the same way even though we do not share a common destiny in eternity We do share a common destiny as far as earth is concerned. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Now this is surely a subject no one wants to talk about, but why should we not talk about it? When this is something that happens to everyone, why is it that people, especially people who do not know the Lord, get so nervous about this subject? Why is it that we find all of these Uh, Synonyms for the subject and we do it. Don't we they passed on they went to be with the Lord they're uh, Resting well, you know the bottom line is they died we don't want to say it Because here's what my understanding about this is let me use a a quotation I found in the writings of the late Ray Steadman. He said this I have noticed that some people are very uncomfortable at funerals They are nervous and edgy. They want to get get, get it over quickly and get back to their local bar, their comfortable living room, or whatever. In observing that phenomenon, I have asked myself, what is it about funerals that makes them so nervous? And the answer I came to is that a funeral is one event where one can no longer escape ultimate reality. A funeral is proof that we are not in control of our own lives this is what makes people uncomfortable and anxious to get back to the comfortable illusions of life now we've talked about the reality of death it's the same for everybody and that's one thing we all have in common isn't it i mean let's face it we all have it in common you say well i appreciate if you wouldn't mention it well i'm mentioning it because it's in the bible and let's go on from there now the fact that it's a reality brings us to the recognition that we all have a different response to this whole reality And let's talk about some of the responses first of all let me tell you based on verse three don't deny it notice what it says this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that one thing happens to all truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead solomon is going to teach us here in this passage of scripture there's several ways you can deal with this subject without skirting around the issue and he tells us that one of the things that's problematic to us when we talk about this subject is that we all know that how we respond to this reveals our heart whether we are facing our own death or the death of someone we love how we respond to death tells us a lot more about ourselves than we would like to know perhaps as a pastor i have witnessed all kinds of responses to death in fact before i became a pastor while i was a student at dallas seminary I was a chaplain at the Baylor Hospital for two years, and I dealt with it every day as a young man. I I mean, I, I didn't even know what I was doing. But I saw everything you can imagine, from people totally going into despair to the point where they were doing harm to themselves and to others who walked into the presence of death as children of God, and while they were sorrowing, they did not sorrow as others who had no hope. Death tells a lot about us, and Solomon is telling us here that the hearts of men are full of evil and he says that they have madness in their hearts while they live and then they die in other words he's saying one of the things you can do is you can just you can just scoot on past this act like it's not going to happen work work yourself into a frenzy so that you just deny it i'll never forget a funeral i had when i was a young pastor back in fort wayne indiana i'd been asked to conduct the service of someone i'd never met somebody i didn't know and i had been assured that they had been godly and And they came to me and and the family said we'd like for you to do this service after the service at the mortuary i was walking back to my car in the parking lot and a young woman came running across the parking lot toward me screaming at the top of her lungs i will say this advisedly she cursed me out she cursed me in words i had not heard in a long time I found out as she unleashed her anger toward me that I had mentioned her sister's name in the service without mentioning hers so here was her dad lying in a casket and she was mad because her name had been omitted from the service what was she doing friends she was denying the reality of what had happened she used the emotion of anger against me so that she didn't have to deal with the emotion of reality and grief concerning her own father and there are many other stories i could tell of the madness and evil that occurs sometimes at the time of death now let me just tell you death is not your enemy it's your friend don't deny it number two solomon says not only don't deny it don't ignore it verses four through six but for him who is joined to all the living there is hope for a living dog's better than a dead lion for the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten also their love their hatred and their envy have now perished never more will they have a share in anything done under the sun here solomon tells us about another approach to death he says that we can hang our hope out there and say well we're just going to hope against hope and and basically what he is saying where there's life there's hope that's where this whole phrase came from where there's life there's hope And he says that it's better to be a living dog which was a despised animal in solomon's day than a dead lion which was the king of the jungle solomon says one of the ways you can deal with this is just go on ignoring it living like hey as long as there's life there's hope you know what hope is great but hope will only be hope if it's got reality mixed in with it and the hope we have isn't in this life the hope we have is in the life to come you can hope all you want to that you won't die, but you're going to die. Hope is not the answer in this life. Hope is the answer in the next life. Hope in Christ who overcame the grave. Now that's meaningful hope, but hope that somehow you're going to just keep going when everybody knows you won't. That's not real, and that's not healthy, and that will not get you through life with any meaning that you can grab hold on notice Solomon's description of a person who has died is reflective of man's view of death without god he says they know nothing they have no more reward they're forgotten they can't love they can't hate they can't envy they have no more share in anything that's done under the sun i rather think solomon put that little liturgy in there so that he would remind us that while those things can't be done after we die they certainly can be done while we're alive isn't that true he suggests that we reverse these statements and discover that while we can't do those things after we're gone because we are alive we can receive a reward and we are not forgotten and we can love and we can hate and we can have envy and we do share in that which is done under the sun this is a perfect introduction to solomon's admonition to all of us concerning death now the morbid part's almost over in other words take stock of your time And do what you can do because there's coming a time when you won't be able to do it Solomon doesn't want us to face death so that we'll be morbid and discouraged and oppressed He wants us to look it square in the face and then take a step backward and say now. What does this mean to me now? And that is our introduction to the third response, which is the one We are to embrace and that is don't deny death don't ignore death, but do embrace it now read with me verses 7 through 10 and see if you don't get excited as i did when i read this go eat your bread with joy drink your wine with a merry heart for god's already accepted your works let your garments always be white let your head lack no oil live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he's given you under the sun all your days of vanity for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun whatever your hand finds to do do it with your might For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Now, what is Solomon saying to us, class? Saying, okay, we face death. Now, we looked it right smack in the face. And here's what comes out of that. Four things. Four things that Solomon is saying. He's not saying, okay, since you're going to die, go out, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, Hit the bars every night. Stay in a drunken stupor so you won't have to deal with it. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, look at the things he tells us to do. He tells us first of all that we should stop moping around and get up and enjoy the life that God has given us under the Sun amen Amen. don't sit around thinking "Oh, I'm gonna die someday so I guess I might as well start now (laughs) (laughs) you know now I want to give you four things you should do because today we quit fooling around about all of the synonyms for death and we said one day we're all gonna die now based on that four things number one eat every meal like you're at a banquet eat every meal like you're at a banquet verse 7 go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with the merry heart for God has already accepted your works you know what the book of Proverbs says better a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred Proverbs 15 17 there's a lot in the book of Proverbs about coming to your meal with gladness in your heart he says you know what you're gonna die someday but man you're gonna eat today we're going to eat lunch today. Eat your lunch like it was a banquet. You say, "Well, Pastor Jeremiah, do you have no idea what we're having for lunch?" <laughs> it's not the food that matters. It's what you think when you come to the table. And you know, to today's generation, these sound like really strange words, don't they? In Solomon's day, and in the Jewish culture, the meal was a very important time. We hardly eat a meal together at all. We are often in such a hurry we can't enjoy the company of one another. We have invented fast food, and I'm not sure fast food's good for us health-wise or emotionally either. In Solomon's day, the evening meal after the long, hard day of work in the fields was a joyous and happy occasion. I think our fast food families could learn a lot from these Old Testament words. Get to the place where every meal is a banquet. Sit down and look around at who's at the table and enjoy your time now i'll tell you the truth this is a good sermon for me to preach after i come back from a cruise where every meal is a banquet i mean (laughs) i have never seen so much food in my life in fact the motto on the cruise was never have so few eaten so much (laughs) (laughs) but you know what you don't have to be at a cruise table to enjoy a meal what solomon is saying is this listen to me he's not saying go and you know do a lot of things so you don't have to think about life and death no he's saying let the fact that you see the the shortness of life motivate you to take advantage of the life God has given you are you with me on that how many of you know days and weeks and months can go by when you can't even remember who you ate with or if you did eat and Solomon says make your meals like they were a banquet that's the first thing eat every meal like you're at a banquet here's the second thing celebrate every day like you're at a party Celebrate every day like you're at a party Let your garments always be white verse 8 and let your head lack no oil Now in the culture of Solomon special occasions were the focus of every family weddings and reunions and birthdays were times of great celebration when people would put on their dress whites and splash perfume all over their bodies but note what the question is saying here he is saying that we should be in a mood of celebration all the time let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil in other words don't celebrate just on special occasions celebrate every day you are alive you have much to celebrate so live joyfully and make every day a festival in life you know i think that's one of the benefits of this book we've been studying oh yes it's philosophical and some people say it's a bit deep but it causes us to wake up and smell the flowers and realize that life life taunts us into becoming a part of its drudgery when god wants us to enjoy the life he has given us the bible says in philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 that we're to rejoice always in the lord and always rejoice isn't that interesting because if you listen to some people today if you have to deal with the issue of death you can't be joyful no solomon says it's exactly the opposite once you realize that you have a certain number of years on this earth and you understand as we've already learned that god wants these days to be enjoyable for you take stock of where you are and quit moping around and go have a good meal with a friend, and get up tomorrow and put on your best whites, or whatever, scarves, or whatever, and go out into the world with a spring in your step, saying, thank God I'm alive. I'll tell you, that's one lesson I've learned, to thank God every day for a good night's rest and for the joy of waking up on the top of the earth. (laughs) Amen? eat every meal like you're at a banquet celebrate every day like you're at a party enjoy every day of marriage like you're on your honeymoon verse 9 oh come on Jeremiah (laughs) here we go watch this verse 9 live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the Sun all your days of vanity for that is your portion in life and in labor which you perform under the Sun solomon you remember had violated marriage in his life he'd had a wife in his youth and then he got caught up with the women of the world and he got sucked into polygamy by all of the strange gods that came into his life and he now stands at the end of his life and he says let me tell you what i wish i had done i wish i had lavished all my love on the wife of my youth and enjoyed her all the days of my life marriage was created to bring joy into the lives of husband and wife when there's mutual commitment and love nothing can compare to the happiness in your home aren't these great thoughts eat every meal like you're at a banquet celebrate every day like you're at a party enjoy every day of marriage like you're on your honeymoon and the last one is go to work every day like it was your last day to work (laughs) verse 10 you know I-, I want you to listen to me now listen to what he says <laughs> verse 10 whatever your hand finds to do do it with your might for there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going i read this week that by the time a person is age 50 if he has worked full-time since college he will have put in 56,000 hours of work what if all that time could be devoted to god well how could that be by simply changing your attitude you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary Or a minister of music or anything else to devote your life to god just get up every day and say lord this is your day i devote this day to you and all that i do i want to honor you if it's cleaning floors or whatever it is you do do your thing for god i read this week a word from prize-winning irish poet evangeline patterson she sums up her life like this she said i was brought up in a christian environment where because god had to be given preeminence nothing else was allowed to be important i have broken through to the position that because god exists everything is important you know that's a tr- that's a profound change isn't it i think some of us have been on that journey i probably started out the same way that since since god is the most important thing only the things that you can tie directly to him like service and ministry only those things are important no no she said i finally grew up and realized that since god is everything then everything is important and it doesn't matter what you do as long as it's honoring to the Lord you can do it with a full heart because life is short and unpredictable Solomon urges us to approach our chosen work with passion and excitement we are to live life wide open with enthusiasm for each opportunity we are given that's the way God wants us to live Colossians three twenty three says whatever you do do it heartily is unto the Lord and not to men he's reminding us that life is a gift and I know some of you don't believe this but work is a gift work is a gift in fact while I was reading book of Ecclesiastes this week I came across this verse which we've already studied and it just had so much new significance to me I want to read it to you again its um, uh, chapter 5 and its uh, verse 20 it's the end of chapter 5 and he's talking here about work and labor but I put it up on the screen because that's so important I want everybody to see it how do you go through life without just being constantly aware you know that your life is you know let me just give you a picture of what I'm saying did you know that if you take a snapshot of this congregation today 50 years from now most of the people in that snapshot wouldn't be here isn't that true now you say passage you have to throw that in I mean, l- let, me just, let me just tell you, wait a minute. So you say, well, how am I supposed to get over that? Verse 20 of chapter 5, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life. Why? Because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. You know, that's why I don't worry about whether I'm going to live to be 80 or 65 or 70. I'm so busy with the joy of my heart. Days go by, and I love the life that God has given to me. If you want to sit back and count your days, go go do it but I'm gonna tell you a better way to live is do your work with all your heart whatever your hand finds to do give it everything you've got and live your life with the joy of your heart and you won't be thinking at all about dying you'll be thinking about the life God has given you right now now I gotta quickly move on to the last part of this chapter and we're gonna cover this quickly Solomon has told us about the certainty of death and, and it seems like what he's saying is okay since death is certain you got to concentrate on life, especially those of us who are Christians, since we know what comes after death, that Christ has already cared for that. But now he throws throws a monkey wrench into the gear here. He says, I know that what I've tried to tell you is that you need to live life, but he said, let me just be honest with you about life. And this is what I love about Solomon. He doesn't candy coat anything. He doesn't try to give us what he knows we want to hear, like a lot of preachers do these days. You know, all the positive stuff with nothing that will make you feel bad. Get the warm fuzzies every Sunday when you go to church. You know, that's what some people believe. Solomon's not of that irk. He, he, he says, let me tell you now, there's some things about life you need to be aware of. A couple things. Number one, in this life, the best man isn't always rewarded. <laughs> and this is a very famous part of this passage of Scripture. We all know this. In chapter, chapter 9, these are, these are some famous words. Verse 11 I returned, and I saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared on an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them." What is he saying? He's saying well i'm solomon said i want you to understand friends i'm not telling you to go out and and do everything exactly right and be perfect and all that and in this life you will be rewarded how many of you know that doesn't happen all the time and how wise of solomon to help us comprehend that the race is not always to the swift the best man doesn't always win life isn't fair can i get a witness Oh, how hard it is for us to understand that. It's a profound paragraph. This is the way life is. The best man doesn't always win. He's not the fastest, nor the strongest, nor the wisest, nor the smartest, nor most skillful man who always wins. Solomon says that sometimes what happens to us is not about our abilities or our readiness for the task, but it's about the timing or the opportunity that might happen. He calls it the chance he's not talking about gambling here He's talking about the fact that sometimes life just happens. You can't figure it out in this life There isn't anything you can control and death is the thing that reminds you of that Let me give you a little biblical illustration. Who was the biggest guy in the Bible? Goliath he's killed by a boy that had a sling Who was the wealthiest man in the Bible Solomon? He messed his life up with disaster who was the fastest guy in the Bible? Joab's brother he chased a guy who was bigger than him and ended up being run through by a spear who was the handsomest guy in the Bible David's son Absalom of whom it was said there wasn't a flaw in him from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head He died hanging from a tree by his hair the people with the greatest gifts often end up with the most tragic endings especially if they're not wise and what Solomon's trying to say is, look, I want you to get this whole thing wrapped up in this package. There's a certainty out there called death, and we're all going to face it, but don't let it destroy your life. Live your life every day with rejoicing because God has given you life. But then, while you're doing that, don't get so enamored with life that you think it's a perfect picture because it's not perfect. The best man doesn't always get rewarded. And then he gives us a little story at the end, and I'm going to have to cover this real quickly, but the the last thing he tells us that is in this life, a good man's not always remembered. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, built great snares around it, and there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor wise man. And i said wisdom's better than strength nevertheless the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools wisdom's better than the weapons of war but one sinner destroys much good what is solomon saying again life isn't fair here's a poor man in a city who saved the whole city from an oncoming king who was going to destroy the whole place and when it was all over they didn't even remember him they just acted like well and all they talked about was the ruler who came against them the evil ruler got more press and the wise poor man didn't even get mentioned have you ever felt like you've been forgotten everybody here has had that at one time or another felt like you've been forgotten you did the right thing you did it the best you could you know it was right and it was good and godly and nobody even noticed that hurts doesn't it It really hurts but just get used to it it's the way life is and Solomon is saying yes I want you to understand about death but I also want you to understand the reality about life best guys don't always win and good people don't always get remembered you say well pastor what am I supposed to do let me tell you what you do here's the whole key Live your life every day with this realization that this is a good life that God has given us, but it's only a preparation for the greatest thing he has for us. He told his disciples one day. He said, uh, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also." Do you have any idea what God has planned for you and the very fact that this life leaves you hungering for more and empty where you want to be full is the realization that there's something inside of you there's a hunger inside of you that can never be filled in this world the only way you can ever get that satisfaction is through a relationship with the eternal Almighty God who sent his son into this world to die on that cross so that you might have life everlasting and here's what I've discovered I still have some of the same struggles you all have with trying to figure out how life works. But I'm constantly reminded that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through, amen. C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, God has provided many ends for us along life's journey, but he's made dead sure that we never confuse any of them for home. One of these days we're going home i'll tell you what it's exciting isn't it and for all of us who are christians absent from the body is present with the Lord and my my concern today is that you understand that yeah you can muddle through life if you want to without having any outside perspective on it but the book of ecclesiastes is teaching us that life is only good when God's in the picture and if you don't know God this is the day one of these days somebody will read your obituary and if you're a Christian and you've already gone to heaven, it'll be a joyous time, but if you haven't made your peace with God through Jesus Christ, it will be a time of great sorrow and despair for all those who know and love you. Let me ask you a question. If you were to face that day we've talked about today, and you had to stand before God and he would say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I'm going to tell you the only answer that will ever be accepted on that reckoning day is because I have accepted your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior, who paid the penalty for all of my sin. And he is my Savior. And Almighty God will say, welcome home.
2: Okay. Thank you, Brother Jason, for sharing tonight, and um, thank all of you for being here. We covered a subject tonight that we uh, really don't think that much about. He's right. It's about death. And uh, just in being in ministry, I've, I've discovered over the years that, you know, it's difficult for people to think about death, especially, um, uh, you know, the, the younger, young adults, perhaps youth young adults, you know, children, children think about death uh, far more than a lot of adults think about death. They wonder, uh, you know, what's what's gonna happen after I die? We hear the word die. Little Judah, she's, she's got that one word down, you know. I said, well, I've gotta run to the funeral home. She'll say die. And I said, yeah, somebody died, you know. And, and so uh, she's got that word down, that, years old and she knows it's not a natural thing in one way and so we don't give we don't give much thought to it but uh the video well brother jason you know humility he's talking about being humble is knowing what you don't know he talked about that shared with that humility is living with what you don't like there's a lot of ways that we can become humble humility is accepting what you can't change um Change the things that you can change and do what? Accept those things that you can't change. And that's what we have to, have to do. And then he talked about uh, humility and what we can't change in regards to distress and deception and defiance. And then humility is enjoying what you can't explain. A lot of things we can't explain, we just accept it. We can't figure it out, we just need to go on. And then uh, Dr. Jeremiah spoke about death. He uh, can't be any poorer than death. I'll have to use that again uh, sometime. That's a good, good talk. And in this life, the best man is not always rewarded. In this life, a good man isn't al- always rewarded. And then he says, living life under the sun is worthless. If this is all we have under the sun, well, then it's just a worthless life. But there's a lot more to this life. If you know Jesus Christ. Death is the great leveler. We all share a common destiny. And that's death. And then he, said, then he talked about the synonyms of death. Uh, synonyms. Uh, loss. People use, uh, uh, you know, share, you know, thinking about you and your loss. We talk about the, syn- the passing. You know, they passed. Um, they died. <laughs> you know. They died, and we, we tried to use all different types of synonyms to kind of cover up the horror we think of death. A funeral is one thing in which we one time in which we face reality. You go to a funeral, and um, uh, you know it's for some they won't go to funerals because they, uh, they they won't they don't want to face reality that you know my casket could be in the other room in there. And so it's a hard thing for some people to face. Hope is not hope in this life. And then he said, um, he said, uh, Stop moping around and start living. You know, we just have a short time to live and we don't need to just mope around all the time. And, and then he goes on to say, Eat every meal like it's a banquet. Wow, I'll have to remember that one. Next time Judy says, Don't eat so much, I say, It's a banquet. Got to eat. Might be my last meal. (laughs) Celebrate every day like you were at a party. Enjoy every day. Enjoy every day of your married life like it's your honeymoon. Man, a lot of marriages would be better off. We'd be a lot better, I should say, if we did that. Uh, Go to work every day like it was your last day. Work is a gift. Ecclesiastes five twenty. Do every day, uh, do every day with joy, and, um, uh, and and don't count your days. You know, wonder when I'm going to die. You know, sit around and count your days. You know, don't. You know, I've heard people say, "Stop at a railroad crossing. Don't train. Don't count the train cars." You ever heard that? I said, "Man, people's going to be at your funeral." I just thought I'd mention that in case. In case you stop at a cross and don't have anything to do. <laughs> but my dad, this one his favorite verses. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. So in the morning, get up, get at it. Because it might be our last day, so let's just do it with all our might. Okay? Let me make, uh, just remind you of the announcements that's on your announcement sheet, but I need to, I failed to mention it this morning, but the WMU Women's Missionary Union uh, will meet tomorrow at 6.30 here at the church, and so uh, uh, Deb wanted me to, to make that announcement, so you'll have your meeting tomorrow, WMU tomorrow at 6.30 here to church. All right, uh, let's stand. We're going to be dismissed. Thank you again, Jason, for sharing with us tonight. And uh, you did a great job. It's a tough book, Ecclesiastes. It gets pretty deep. Ryan Hester, would you just...